0: That's Greetings
1: viewers, this is Misbah Bazam with Faraz Darwish on New Wave Global, Viewpoint from Overseas. Lot to discuss, what is going on in the United States, what's going on in the world, what is going on in India, Pakistan, and so on and so forth. But we are going to discuss regarding the bill just uh, um, came in the Congress, uh, uh, which, uh, which is about talking about the human rights violations in Pakistan. And our guest, our distinguished guest joining us today is no no one else but our own Dr. Amina Muir Zia. So we will ask her some very specific question regarding this bill, how she sees it and how she uh, does the autopsy on that and explain us what it is saying. Dr. Zia, question, take my question first. I was reading that bill. Thank you for sharing it with me. I was reading it last night and I have three points in this bill. I was surprised to see that uh, um, uh, President Alvi uh, told it, it is coming that what violations pakistan is doing human rights arif alvi president arif alvi he told imran khan to dissolve the assembly but when he did supreme court stopped doing it then shahbaz sharif uh, was elected after the no confidence vote then there was a no confidence vote to remove imran khan's government Nowhere it is mentioned that Imran Khan was not blaming Shahbaz Sharif. He was not blaming anybody. He was blaming blaming United States for his removal from there. Nowhere it is mentioned. Question is, do all these uh, representatives, when they do, when they work on these type of bills, don't they know the ground realities don't they know that uh, having a vote of no confidence is not against the human rights? No, they don't they know that the way, once the um, uh, bill is, once the no confidence motion is in process, president cannot dissolve the assembly? Yeah, it's, know, it's very simple, think.
2: simple question is, it was constitutional to have the vote of no confidence. That's, That's a constitutional That's means. The constitution he was not forced out of by the parliament
1: yeah.
2: under the so, under
1: the headline of uh, so, um, uh, human right violation. Yeah, let's and hear from Dr. Zia. Right what she has to say. In other places,
0: please. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me back on the show. for Faraz and Ms. Masab, it's always a pleasure. Pleasure um, um, to all of us. So Apne, you asked me the question about <clears throat> the, you know, the resolution that was recently passed. Um, it was passed by a congressional leader from the state of Georgia. And um, and I think, uh, first of all, I would like to say that it's it's a, it's, it's a step forward in the, within the diaspora political engagement that there is a resolution that was introduced um, regarding Pakistan. And that if you read the resolution, it starts off with mentioning about the floods and the impact yes. of the devastating impact of the floods and the need for development, um, infrastructure, et cetera. Um, but as the bill progresses, you know, uh, questions about human rights violations arise. And and in the specific space of human rights, the way that it's characterized within this resolution is regarding um the political climate in Pakistan and what it has been over the last few months. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail about that because um because I think in regards to the context of the resolution and in regards to it being framed as human rights, I think maybe the definition of human rights is a little bit expanded or misplaced. Um, So I think, and you asked me a question in the beginning, Ms. Basab, you asked me, don't people follow up on these? And I think that's a very good, that's a very good um, question, because I think that within the diaspora community, we need to have organizations that are think tanks or placeholders or policy placeholders for when rec- when suggestions and recommendations are made to Congress from our diaspora, right? So that we have a place where congressional leaders can come and, and ask, hey, what is going on? Can you share ground realities, et cetera? A lot of times you have junior staffers on Capitol Hill that are You know that are pretty much looking at a lot of this verbiage and what that means for the congressional leader who may have pressure. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but you know sometimes there's pressures from um, contributors, donors to hey, this is really important to me. We have to bring this on. Let's get this pushed. Um, But in regards to this specific resolution, the the wording of this resolution is interesting because it seems a little all over the place. It starts with the floods. But then it's not asking for infrastructure development assistance as you progress uh, on the second part of it, which is the ask. OK, well, what is a solution? What is a recommendation? And then it talks about free and clear elections. Um, and then it lists a number of individuals within the Pakistani government over the last few months. And all of those names and all of those instances could be perceived in the larger context as being irrelevant and just noisy within the context of the resolution. So, in my opinion, from someone who works on these, from someone who teaches this, studies this, um I I personally feel like the wording could have been done properly, and it should have been strategically um, situated in a, in a place where you lay out the issues and then you ask for a solution, right? So there's really not a solution with this within this resolution. Um, I'm going to stop there, but I would like to say that, you know, resolutions are not binding laws, right? They're just expressions of collective sentiments. And I think this is a very positive place for diaspora because we have been able to collectively get to that point where we are talking about resolutions about Pakistan, specifically within the country to country uh, context and not regional context. Um, And so, but we also know that the U.S political system is a two-party system winner take-all system that promotes and encourages um, groups to find common positions. so the fact that we are seeing that this resolution did come up um, in Congress maybe it will be a launch pad for um you know other diaspora organizations to say okay let's kind of collectively come together and and for the first time mark out our priorities and strategies maybe it's human rights maybe it's clear elections, maybe it's fair elections. But I hope it would be around trade, education, exchange, and 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 things that can lead to viable and substantive development.
1: Raz, uh, Faraz, you are muted.
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, so, Doctor Zia, I agree with you that it has. They have to be first factual. Uh, these resolution have to be factual. These resolution have to be you know human rights based. I agree, and then I also agree that you know it has to be more on education, healthcare, and all those other. Uh, areas where Pakistan has been struggling. This resolution actually talks about something which was constitutional, meaning removing Imran Khan through the vote of no no confidence. That was constitutional. It was Imran Khan who took the unconstitutional step by dissolving the assembly and then Supreme Court reversed it, number one. Number two, it doesn't talk about. Imran Khan actually himself blamed U.S. For his removal, for his ouster, and he accused all the opposition parties who removed him through the through the constitutional means as the American as the traitors and American agents and the CIA agents. And he ran an anti-America campaign for the year and a half, and still to date, Imran Khan and his party accuses opposition parties as the American agents, and he thinks that it, his ouster was because of. Uh, U.S. U.S. removed him. It was a conspiracy against him. And he specifically blames the State Department official, uh, Assistant Secretary Donald Lou for this. And he has not provided a single evidence, a single evidence that how it was done and why it was done. There is no evidence. It's just a talk. It's just a rhetoric. And he's been running an anti-America campaign and it's been reported that Donald Liu's security was increase just because, uh, you know, there was threats against him. Uh, so, I mean, Imran Khan has a very dubious, uh, a very conflicting uh, strategy where in Pakistan, he runs an anti-America campaign. He, he, he flares up uh, anti-America sentiments and he leverages on them. And at the same time in America, he asks America for help. So uh, why don't they move against Donald Trump, who they blame? without any evidence that he is one of the one of the person responsible for his after in Pakistan. <laughs> so they, it's, it's just, I mean, I don't know when, when these congressmen and when these uh, state officials are looking at these bills, they have to look at the bigger picture. Don't they get the CIA report what Imran Khan and his party has been doing, running an anti-America campaign? He's on the record of calling Osama bin Laden, an only prime minister of Pakistan, calling Osama bin Laden repeatedly sure. a martyr a martyr. No other prime minister of Pakistan has called Osama bin Laden a martyr. With, uh, uh, and he's been running a pro Taliban campaign. He's been nominated at PTI representative. He's been, he has been celebrated the the victory of Afghan Taliban in Kabul. So there is a lot of conflicts in his the way he runs his politics or his party runs his politics. Now here they're asking for America's help and accusing uh, US for uh, his after. Now on the, at the same time, Imran Khan and his party admitted and made their videos on 9th of May when, where they uh, attacked the military installation all over Pakistan. Not just a GHQ, not just the core commander house in North, but all over Pakistan. Imagine that if, if it was done in the U.S., what would be the U.S. Uh, retaliation or response if a party, a political party a, or a group attacked the military installation all across the U.S., and then says, okay, well, because the state is moving against me, therefore it's a human rights violation. Well, I, I understand the, the, if, if there are any innocents who have been arrested, uh, then they, they should not be. There should be a fair trial. I agree on the fair trial, but Imran Khan and his party leaders are made their own videos when they attack all these military installations. The evidence was produced by themselves because they celebrated as a revolution. Now the state is moving against them. Now they want to hide behind an umbrella of Human rights violation, uh, free and fair trial. They should get the free and fair trial, but they themselves are responsible for it. And imagine, you know, uh, somebody or Pakistan asking, although all those involved in the Capitol Hill attack, hey, those are human rights violation. Why are they getting 18 years sentence? Uh, they should be free. I mean, they, I want to hear your take. When you these officials pass these resolutions. Uh, there are human rights violations not against Imran Khan. There are human rights violations, has been against many world. other groups, yeah. against Baloch, world, against uh, against yeah. many other minority groups. Uh, let's talk about those as well. Why is this specific? So, I'll need to, I would like to get your take on this.
0: Thank you for us. I mean, I, and I think I've said this before, uh, also on your show, that um, when we talk about human rights violations, that to me as a you know, as someone from the academia, as someone who is in the policy space, that's a very sacred concept, right? Because that we have each and every one of us has the um, we have to stand up for the voices. We have to stand up for injustice, right? That's what humanity teaches us and tells us to do. So when we talk about human rights violations, we have to be very careful not to throw that term around um, recklessly. There are human rights violations taking place all around the global South, not just the global South, all around the world. Um, And there are are avenues to address those violations where collectively we come together, the world comes together and we have parameters and systems in place and processes, right? Um, But when we use the term human rights violation, In a resolution that talks about a political party and a political strategy, that to me professionally seems a little reckless. Um, And I think that is also what you the sentiments that you were sharing for us. And I would also like to take this opportunity talk to talk a little bit about. You mentioned, you know, in the files of Congress, are they fact-checking? A lot of times when we have staffers that are dealing with constituents and constituents come to them, you know, we can cite um, references from all over the place right now, right? So so when you have constituents that approach staffers on Capitol Hill about issues that are very important to them, and, you know, keep in mind, in Pakistan, people know a lot about the United States and foreign policy, but in the United States, the average American does not know too much about Pakistan's internal political dynamics. They don't even know the difference between Nawaz Sharif or Imran Khan or um, be it any other political leader in Pakistan or even the political parties. So I think that we have to understand that there's a lack of understanding there in that context within the halls of Congress. And that's where the diaspora engagement becomes so important because that's where we need to come together collectively as a diaspora. And and I feel like I keep saying this each time and set our priorities and set our strategies. Um, The third point I wanna make is in reference to your comment about political strategies. Um, You know, you mentioned Imran Khan's party and the political strategies that they're utilizing whether here abroad in the United States or within Pakistan. I mean, for us, it's politics, right? You you go where you're going to get any reception, right? So that's just politics one-on-one. So that's actually a pretty good political strategy on their party's part. And their party members, whether they live in the US or whether they're in Pakistan, you know, they're they're rallying people around. They have, you know, they have um they have a hook. They are, you know, using emotions and, you know, and they're just leveraging and harnessing. Um, human emotions and the concept of democracy as it's outlined by the political party as part of a strategy. So actually, when we look at the diaspora um, PTI movement, it's actually pretty amazing because Imran Khan was able to mobilize younger diaspora individuals like never before. You know, so there and, and again, it's yep. just playing on sentiments, playing on those emotions. So politics one on one kudos there. But I think what the larger diaspora needs to do, and especially leadership of our uh packs or foundations, 501C3, 501C4, is what they need to collectively come together as leadership and, and say, hey, we are now at the stage where we are engaging. We are in the game. We are playing the game. So let's play it to our benefit, right? And so again, and I will say it again, the relationship that US and Pakistan has needs to be built around trade and exchange. And I also wanna mention with you that the United States is Pakistan's largest single export market by a wide margin. And the United States is also currently one of Pakistan's largest source of foreign investment. Just last year, there was a 50% increase in the US investment in Pakistan over the year before. And currently, it is the highest it has ever been in over a decade. So that's the reality of where that relationship needs to go. And I would really like resolutions to be introduced in Congress that talk about credible pathways to harness this momentum that we find ourselves in, in this polit- in this um, relationship. We have an election coming up here in the United States. This is the time to engage congressional leaders. This is the time to to leverage and harness and showcase, um, you know, the the high quality products and services that Pakistani market has Mm -hmm. to offer, whether it's from energy to agricultural equipment, to products, to franchising, retail trade, and also the digital sector. And these are just some of the areas where um, Pakistan is already engaging with the U.S. on. And this relationship for us and Ms. Basab, I truly believe needs to stand on its own. It cannot be mucked into a regional relationship, and it also cannot be mucked into um, internal dynamics and things of that nature. So we here as diaspora community really needs to need to focus on how do we ensure that there is a relationship between the two markets, because that is the defining partnership that will lead to very viable long term um, solutions and and help with challenges. I
2: agree. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with the Yes, Ms. we have a
1: question. Yeah, uh, yeah we have a, we have a very short time level. Just one question for us after that. If you want any any question, you can ask for sure. Uh, just in one minute, uh, uh, Amina. Um, how, wh- wh- you 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 raised a good point that you know like uh, bills should be this this uh, you know like about the economy about the trade about these things you know, but do you think that the uh, lobbies here are so strong which are more interested in helping these issues which goes against Pakistan, you know which is an Indian lobby or other lobby I don't know. So that's why these bills right away get any eleven senator. I'm sorry, eleven representatives sign it. Then they give time to people like Muiz Pirzada and all those guys who sit down and uh, in Pakistan and uh, spread anti-Americanism. But they are there, the big intellectuals and all. So do you think that it is these lobbies which are very strong and uh, only those bills? gets to the signatures, which are uh, kind of uh, talking about human rights violation and now PDI. with, with
2: Specifically, exactly. The human rights violation in, in, in large, I agree. But when you specify, then yeah. the question really becomes is, then let's talk about all the human rights of all those who attack the Capitol Hill. Right.
1: No, actually, actually, you know, for us, I, 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 like. Yeah. I, I don't mind having time to time pushing yeah. that. Also, in Pakistan, has issues with the human right. I, right. I have issue with that. But the thing is that my question is that that uh, why not? Other things come with that. If it is happening once in a blue moon, I would say, well, it is good. But the thing is that only these type of things yep. make to
0: the signatures. Yeah, Ms. Masab, I would like to respond to that. I think that, you know, you mentioned lobbying. There is not a large Pakistani lobby group right now on Capitol Hill. We have, you know, a few PACs, political action committees that have access to congressional leadership. Um, and, And I think that this is a very good first step in the sense that we are actually, I've said it before, we are actually in The game playing the game now as the Pakistani American and American Pakistani diaspora in the United States. Um, But as such as lobbying, lobbying comes with coalition building, which is an art, you know, more than anything, it also requires individuals and groups to be willing to rise above their feelings of separateness and to actively collaborate, right? In the spirit of mutual understanding, patience or be it flexibility. But what you're mentioning with this particular resolution is that We are not rising above our feelings of being separate, right? And we are not collectively coming together in the spirit of mutual understanding. So we are not playing the coalition building and the lobbying art very well. So that, again, is something that we need to focus on. We need to educate our community on. We need to educate our leadership on. And we need to build on that. Um, There are also you know, because I do this for a living, there are nine dimensions of coalition building. And in the, you know, in the, the American political system, as I mentioned, is a winner-take-all system. You have to build coalitions to get um, leadership and, and to, and to get the system to recognize your issues and challenges and put them on the agenda, right? Agenda setting. So the coalition has to be ready. It has to be intentional. There has to be a structure. There has to be action that you are asking the government to take, right? So for example, with the resolution, you are asking, you are making an ask, not just stating what happened um, or stating opinions. And you're also, you have a membership, you have a solid membership, which also connects us back to lobbying successfully. Your membership has to be at large membership, and you have to have leadership that has an understanding of systems and processes, because we know, you know, um, scholarship tells us, history tells us systems and processes work. They may be broken and they may need to be reformed or they need to be unpacked completely and and emerge again, but they work, right? So leadership and then you need dollars and resources are also important. And again, when you're building coalitions, you're building relationships, you need those things to be there. And I think that at the moment that we are right now in our diaspora, that's what we need to do. We need to start building coalitions Within our diaspora community, with other minority um, communities, and also with other issues, right? So whether it's human rights issue, whether it's uh, making sure that Pakistan has free and fair elections, which you know, um, which is an internal issue of Pakistan and needs to be dealt internally by advocates and and, um, and electoral um, advocates and so forth. But I think that here in the halls of Congress in the United States there needs to be a coalition building and there needs to be a very real understanding of how we move forward, because otherwise we are in the game now. So we need to step up our own strategies.
2: All right, no, I I do not have any more questions because I think we're somewhat out of time, but uh, thank you so much, Dr. Zia. Uh, for your inputs, uh, this is indeed, uh, somewhat of a success too. Uh, we should, but, uh, it, it is has some little bit of a flaws, but I agree. The, uh, the points that you mentioned regarding, you know, trade, healthcare, education, those are the main key areas where if, if we can influence as a diaspora to help Pakistan, uh, audience until, until next week, uh, uh, please, uh, do give us your feedback, your inputs. Uh, we'll try to enhance and improve this show until next week. Goodbye.